Well, you can be seated. Praise the Lord. We're glad that you're here today. It's been an exciting weekend. It's going to be an exciting week. You know, every time I hear that song, we've sung it in every service, it just reminds me of the altar. You know, when I grew up in the church, we had an altar, and we used that altar all the time. I mean, if uh, I, I had one guy say to me, buddy, you ought to put a saddle on that thing and ride it to heaven as much as you go up there. And, uh, you know, and I just wanted to say to you guys that this altar is always open. You can, it's not like an altar that you'll find maybe, but it's got pads here so your knees will be okay as you're kneeling there. But anytime you feel led to come at any service you're ever in, if you feel the need to come and lay your burden at the feet of Christ, and that's kind of what it represents, laying our burdens down, uh, you can do that. What an exciting day we're having today. We have some very special friends with us today. Gay and I uh, goes all the way back to 1980. Uh, where we went to the Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene, and uh, Gay recommitted her life to Christ, and I gave my life to Christ for the very first time. The only time, actually, because I've tried to keep it in his hands. Uh, but we've got our pastor and his wife from those days, Clark and Chris Langford. We want you to stand, and I want you to just make them feel really welcome to our services today. They have stood the test of time, and God has honored them and used them. And Clark and Chris, uh, whatever's happened in our ministry, you need to know. It started, and you're a part of it. The good, bad, and the ugly of it. <laughs> but we're glad you're here, because then that reminds us that Clark, Pastor Clark, called uh, Reverend Lane Loman to come to the very first revival uh, that we ever went to together as a couple was Lane Loman, I believe. And Gay laid down, surrendered her life completely to the Lord there, and she's lived that kind of life the best of our ability and her ability with God's power and grace in her life to live that life. And Lane, you were huge in our life, and we are honored to have you here today all the way from Columbus, Indiana. Reverend Lane Lowen's been doing this for a long time, so let's make him feel welcome. What a joy to be with you and to share these exciting days at this incredible church. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we which are alive are always being given over to death 
for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. For we which are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. The focus verse this morning is found in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Again, the apostle Paul is writing and he says, it's a personal testimony. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Did you notice how those verses in Corinthians and Galatians parallel one another? For we which are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for these that have gathered here this morning. We're here to hear a fresh word from you. And I recognize, Father, that without your anointing, anything that I might endeavor to say will not impact us the way it needs to impact us unless it has the anointing of your spirit. So I pray for that today. I pray not only for anointing on my lips of clay, but also anointing upon the hearing of the people that they might hear the message as though they were the only ones sitting in this auditorium. Speak to us, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I ask it. Amen. I think you would agree with me this morning when I say that we live in a world that puts its stamp of approval on a variety of lifestyles. Our politically correct society politely calls them alternative lifestyles. But I submit to this congregation this morning that there is only one alternative lifestyle that is validated in the Word of God and approved by God Himself. And when you begin to study the writings of the Apostle Paul, you're not long into his writings until you discover this lifestyle. It is a common theme. It's almost like the monotonous beating of a jungle drum. It is just there. It really doesn't matter which of Paul's writings you might be reading, and for invariably, you're going to come across this alternative lifestyle theme. For instance, when he wrote to the church at Rome, he talked about it as the mind of Christ. When he wrote to the church at Corinth, he identified it as the aroma 
of Christ. And writing to the church at Galatia, Paul gave his own personal testimony. And he said, I have been crucified, speaks of it as the crucified life. When he wrote to the church at Ephesus, Paul says that we are God's workmanship. And to the church at Philippi, he told them that they were to possess the mind of Christ. And in writing to the church at Thessalonica, he says that we are sanctified through and through. And then in writing to young Timothy, he told him that we are to set the example in life, love, and purity. And when he wrote to Titus, he said that we are to say no to ungodliness. We're to live self-controlled and godly in this present age. And now in 2 Corinthians we find that Paul, again, is talking about this alternative lifestyle. And in talking about it, he talks about the death of Jesus Christ. He alludes to the fact that Jesus died on a cross. Everybody in the place this morning would agree with that statement. Jesus died on a cross. Whether you're here today and you believe or do not believe in that Jesus was the Son of God. You cannot deny the fact that he died on a cross. Men stood by. They watched it happen. It was a finished historical act. But then note this also. The Apostle Paul confirms that not only did Jesus die on a cross, he arose from a grave. And he is alive today. And in the life of Jesus, there was on the one hand, a death experience, and on the other hand, a resurrection experience. And because of that, Jesus made available to every one of us in divine presence the wonderful alternative lifestyle that he talks about here in this passage and throughout his entire writings. You say, well, Lane, could you give me a clearer explanation of this alternative lifestyle. Could you define it for us? Well, the death side of this alternative lifestyle is the total surrender of yourself to Jesus. The resurrection side of this lifestyle is the fullness of Jesus now living inside of you. The death side of this lifestyle is the absolute giving of yourself to Jesus. The resurrection side of this lifestyle is the full dynamic power of the Holy Spirit enthroning Jesus as Lord of your life. The death side of this lifestyle is your complete yieldedness to Christ. And the resurrection side of this lifestyle is the full 100% thrust of God operating in your life 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 that we referenced a few moments ago is just another one of Paul's examples to try and convey this alternative lifestyle to us. For Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm alive. I have been crucified. That's my death. But I'm alive. Well, it's not me that's alive. Well, on second thought, it is me that's alive. Well, no, it's not me that's alive. You see, it's 
Christ, who is alive inside of me. I've allowed him to come and take up residence in my life. He is not just my savior, he's my Lord. In a very common vernacular, Paul is trying to say to us, I'm under new management. I'm under the management of Jesus Christ. He is Lord and master of my life. The source of my living is no longer me, but it is him. Now, in order to make this truth come alive for us, let me give some handles that you can grab hold of. And in doing that, I want to talk to you this morning about this alternative lifestyle and how you can make it very personal in your own life. And by doing that, I want to talk about a principle. Because you see, there is a marvelous principle that operates when this alternative lifestyle becomes a reality in your life. And the principle is what I call exchange life principle. You say, Lane, what do you mean by that? Well, Jesus says, you come and give me your life. Now, let me pause long enough to say this. At the risk of sounding a bit judgmental this morning, I'm sure that the majority of the congregation, if asked, if you were a Christian, most of you would probably say yes. And indeed, there was a time in your life when you confessed your sins. That's where it begins. We confess our sins. And the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And that's a marvelous moment in the life of any person. But my fear this morning is that many who have confessed their sins have never given him their life. And there is a distinct difference in confessing your sins and giving him your life. So Jesus says to us this morning, I want you to come and give me your life. And then notice what he says. And I will give you mine. Oh, you didn't get it. Let me try that again. <laughs> Jesus says, you come. Confess your sins. That's good. I'll take care of them. But I don't want you to just confess your sins. I want you to come. And I want you to, without reservation, I want you to give me your life. Look anywhere you want to look, my friend, and you'll not find a deal like this one. Jesus says, you come and you give me your life and I will give you mine. It's the one bargain that Christianity offers that has absolutely no comparison. I mean, look at what happens. He says, you give me what you are, and I'll give you who I am. He says, you come, and you give me all you have, and in exchange, I'll give you everything that I have. He says, we will just swap out. We'll just exchange lives. By the way, what's your life worth? Oh, I know some of you are sitting there thinking, who is this guy? Coming in here asking me what my life is worth? I know you're worth something. I recognize that you're worth much to your family that you're valuable to your employer, your employees. I recognize 
that you're valuable to this church. I understand that kind of worth, but in the economy of God, I would just like to ask you a very personal question, and you're not accountable to me, but what are you worth spiritually? You know what the Bible says in answer to that question about our spiritual worth? It says that your righteousness is like filthy rags. And when you factor that in, that makes this invitation of Jesus all the more incredible because he comes and he says, I want you to give me what you are, which in your own self, that's not very much. There's nothing that you nor I can do to pull ourselves up by our own spiritual boots. There's no way that we can do that. And Jesus comes along. He says, you come and give me what you are, which is not too much, and I will give you all that you will ever need. Oh, friend, it's the opportunity of a century uh, taking all that you are, which is not very much at all, and getting everything that he is, which is all that you will ever need. Look at the results when this happens. When the principle takes effect and you, by faith, allow it to begin to operate in your life, Jesus says, don't just give me your sins. Don't just give me the wickedness of your life. Don't just give me that guilt complex when you come initially and confess your sins. He says, give me the things you struggle over. Give me that conscience that bothers you. Give me those things that you do that you seemingly cannot get victory over. He says, give me all of those things and for your lack, for your failure, for your sin. He said, I'll tell you what I will do. I will give you my righteousness. I'll give you my purity. And where you have been wicked, now you'll be righteous. It will not be your righteousness, though. He says, it will be my righteousness imparted into you through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, you come and give me your weakness. Don't just give me your sins. I want your weaknesses. Give me the place where you are the weakest. Temptation comes, wipes you out like a flood every time, and you always compromise. Jesus says, don't just give me your weakness. He says, if you'll just give me your weakness, I'll tell you what I'll do in exchange for that. He says, I'll give you my strength. And where you've been the weakest, now you'll be the strongest. Friend, if that's possible, and I believe it is, I want to be weak all over that I might be strong in him. Exchanging lives. Exchange life principle. But then that brings us to the second consideration. If I'm going to know this alternative lifestyle I'm not only going to have to exercise faith and factor in the exchange life principle, I'm going to also have to deal with the problem. And understand this morning, I did not say problems. I said problem. I've been a Christian for 51 years. And I remember that day when I first, by faith, activated the grace of God in my life. I was 17. And I began my spiritual journey. But along the way, as it is with all of us, 
there were those spiritual glitches from time to time. There was those times when I failed. I mean, literally failed. There were those times when I chose to go a direction that I knew was diametrically opposed to what God would have me to do. And I can remember looking back in retrospect on my life after I got established and my feet settled in the things of God and began to activate the word of God in my life. I wanted to know why was I that way? Why did I have those spiritual failures? Why did those glitches come into my life? Why was I not consistent? What was the problem? And you know what I discovered the problem to be? My wife. If just one morning in my life, my wife would just wake up and roll over and look at me and say, you're the man. <laughs> if you were here last night, you know she's not the problem. It was my kids. They were the problem. I mean, sometimes my kids would just literally drive me crazy. But in reality, it was not my kids. It was my job. <laughs> Having to deal with people all the time. I mean, I was a pastor for 23 years, and I had to deal with these multiple personalities who had multiple personalities. <laughs> so we had to deal with all of that. No, it wasn't my job. But yet we talk like that, don't we? We like to reflect upon people in our lives and things in our lives to try and not deal with the real spiritual problem that keeps us from this alternative lifestyle that Paul is teaching us to embrace. And I discovered that the problem was not my wife, my kids, my job, or anything else. I discovered that my problem was me. It was me. Every morning, I'd get up and look in the mirror. And guess who looked back? Me. Wish I could have gone somewhere without me. Seemed like everywhere I went, I went too. Never could go anywhere without me. I just pestered the living daylights out of me. In all serious this morning, folks, Seriousness this morning, I found out that my biggest problem, it was not anything else but me. Those failures in my life uh, happened because of me. Those sins that I committed in my life, uh, I couldn't blame anybody else. They all happened because of me. The relational breakdowns in my life, I couldn't blame somebody else. I had to look in the mirror and say, hey, Lane, you might have to take responsibility for this. You see, our biggest problem uh, to really living the way God would have us to live uh, is me. And I will tell you this morning that the hardest thing a person will ever have to do in their spiritual journey is to come to terms with this fact. My biggest problem is me. And until you're willing to face that, you will continue to have the spiritual 
glitches in your life. You say, Lane, why are we like that? Because you would agree with me, we are like that, aren't we? Why are we like that? Well, you go back to the Word of God, and it describes a condition from whence that comes. And you have to go back to another writing of the Apostle Paul. You go back to that writing in Corinthians when he's talking to the Corinthian church. And he says in chapter 2, verse 14, he categorizes the membership of the Corinthian church. And interestingly enough, in the Corinthian church in Paul's day, there were three kinds of people. He first of all talked about the natural person. And that, of course, was the person who might have attended the Corinthian church, but they didn't know Christ. They were not Christ followers. And then there was a second group he talked about in verse 15 of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians and he said but he that is spiritual judgeth all things. There were people in that congregation who had the mind of the spirit and they knew how to take the word and the teaching and the relationship with God and apply it to the pressure points of life. But then there was a third category noted in verse 3 of chapter 3 and this is what he said of them. He said, but ye are yet carnal, fleshly. So this problem that we have that keeps us from this alternative lifestyle can be traced back to the fact that there is something inside of me that came with me when I was born called carnality, which is a bent to self-centeredness, doing my own thing, so to speak, having control over my life. Someone described it like this. It's a cesspool of iniquity, this principle that operates inside of us that causes us to do wrong even after the new birth or the conversion experience. This principle that Paul identified to this letter at the church or to the church at Corinth where he says, ye are not carnal. You see, that slip of the tongue, that profanity that you use, that attitude that you display towards somebody else, it's not happenstance. It originates in this cesspool, this carnality that's in us even after we have confessed our sins. And after we work our way through all the language of Christianity, our biggest problem is self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. Make a list of all the things that you know you've done wrong. Trace them back to how they became a reality in your life. And I guarantee you, you'll realize they happened because you chose them to happen. You decided. Every sin you ever committed, you can't blame it on anybody else. It comes back to that carnality that's inside of you, that bent to do the wrong thing instead of the righteous thing. It's a problem. It's a problem. And if we don't deal with this problem, it's going to hamstring our spiritual journey to the point that we never become that full-grown, mature Christian that Christ wants us to become.
carnality. You say, well, Ian, what do we do with a problem like that? And you would agree with me this morning, just to be sure that we're all on the same page. You would agree with me this morning when I say that this carnality is a problem. Okay. What do you do with it? Well, I can tell you what some do with it. In theological circles, it's called suppression. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, this is how most of us deal with carnality. It's very interesting. I could talk about carnality for the next 15 minutes. And you'd sit there and you'd say, that's right, Lane. This carnality is a problem in our lives. Preach right there, Lane. We need to hear this thing about carnality. Yes, sir, carnality is the reason that we've got so much trouble in the church. Carnality is the reason I've got so much of a problem in my family. Yes, Lane, preach right there. That carnality is a real problem. And then you could walk right over here to the parking lot, get in your car, and on your way home, look at the person that's in the car with you and say, hey, by the way, what Lane said in there this morning was really right. That carnality is really a problem. By the way, what is carnality? It's nothing more or less than old-fashioned, I repeat, self-centeredness. So what do we do about it? Here's what most do about it. In theological terms, as I was about to say, it's called suppression. Suppression. The idea that if we just manage it, if we can just manage the carnality, then it will not be such an adverse thing in my life. Let me illustrate. Let's pretend this morning that that water in that bottle is carnality. So I noted earlier in the message, we all came into this world with one. Carnality. And as we grow older, as we become a Christian, we recognize carnality is not a good thing. Uh, I don't want carnality to control my life, but what do I do about it? So we think, and we hear it taught, in all due respect to many of the radio and television teachers, they would teach you there's not a whole lot you can do about this carnality. It's just there, and you're just going to have to manage it, suppress it, do the best by it, and uh, do uh, what you can to not let it adversely affect your life. And so we call it suppression, and so we walk around with this bottle of carnality in our pocket or in our purse, and we do everything thing we can to keep the lid on the top of our bottle of carnality because we know that if that carnality gets out and gets on anything, gets on anyone, it's going to create a problem. I mean, as a matter of fact, how many of you have ever known of anybody who said, I got some carnality on somebody the other day and everything turned out all right? <laughs> I mean, you've never heard anybody say anything like that, have you? <laughs> of course not. It never comes out well when the carnality gets on somebody. But yet as hard as we can, in our own humanness, even though we might try our best to keep the lid on the top of our bottle of carnality, we're just too big for ourselves. And little by little, the lid begins to get loose. Pressures of life, attacks of the enemy, situation at home, the thing down on the job, what's happening over at the church. Things begin to loosen the lid on the top of our bottle of carnality. And all of a sudden, one day, we have a, pardon the expression, carnality burp. Oh. Did I get that on you? 
Here, come here. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get that on you. Let me get that carnality off of you. And we get it off of them. And we put it back in our bottle of carnality. And we put the lid on the top. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have talked like that. I, I, I shouldn't have acted like that towards you. Which, oh, I just can't believe I did that. And then we try to go through some kind of process of purging ourselves because of getting the carnality on somebody else. We might come and talk to the pastor. We might even, if given an opportunity, come down to a place like this and kneel here and we look at God and say, oh God, did you see what I said the other day to that person? Did you see how I treated them? Oh, the attitude that I displayed, that was so wrong. God, I am so sorry about that. I, I want you to forgive me. And we purge ourselves a little bit at that moment. And then we look at God and we say, now God, you know I'm really not that way. But you are. But after we've purged ourselves and we feel better about ourselves, we get up and instead of leaving the bottle here, we pick it back up and we take it with us. Make up our minds. Not going to let that happen again. That wasn't pretty at all. Don't want to see that happen again. And so we keep the lid on the top of our bottle of carnality as tightly as we can. And maybe for a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, two months, three months, six months, we successfully manage our carnality and we don't allow it to get on anything or get out of the bottle. But then one day, one day, I mean, it's one of those days. I mean, the trying times of the world, the life in which I have to exist, the kind of relationships that I have to deal with and the job and the money and all the pressures of life, the enemy coming in on top of that one day maybe it's down at the house maybe it's over at the office maybe it's around the church one day all of a sudden the lid doesn't just kind of barely open all of a sudden the lid comes off the bottle and there is a virtual carnality explosion and it gets all over everybody and we step back and we recognize what's happened with oh my word look at what's happened and let this carnality get out Come here, come here, come here. Let me get that carnality off of you. Somebody get a vacuum cleaner. There's carnality in the sanctuary. Oh, look at this carnality over here that I got on that person. It's all over the chairs. It's on the platform. Oh, somebody, don't want to get that on the guitar. Get that carnality off that guitar. And we're running around and we're trying to mop up all this mess of carnality. And we get it all back in the bottle. And then maybe we run to the pastor's office and say, I've got to pray, I've got to talk about this. Maybe we even come down to the front and we bring our bottle with us and we put it down there and say, oh God, did you see what I did the other day? Did you see how I acted, how I treated those people? Did you see the results of that? How the carnality just went everywhere. Oh God, oh God, please forgive me. And we purge ourselves and we look at God and we say, oh God, you know me, you know I'm not really that way. That's not who I am. I'm not that way. But you are. You are that way. And we get up. And instead of leaving it, we pick it back up. And we take it with us. Always dealing with the symptom and never dealing with the problem. You say, Lane, that's just a silly preacher story. No, it's not. What I just shared with you, the context of that illustration, pretty much described the first 25 years of my Christian experience. 
I've already alluded to the fact that I was saved as a teenager. Preached my first sermon at the age of 17. It lasted eight minutes. Finished college. Went into evangelism with my father. Traveled for 10 years. God blessed. He was good to me. Accepted the call to pastor a church in Nashville, Tennessee in 1981. Stayed there nine years. Church grew from 37 to 300 in that span of time. God blessed me and helped me. But in all of those first 25 years, I had one of these. And when I didn't get my way, the lid came off. And carnality got on people. Now I discovered this about carnality. It exposes itself in different ways. We're all wired differently, aren't we? My carnality exposed itself in a unique way. You see, I don't have a temper. I'm, I've got my mom's side of the family DNA. Uh, she was a crab tree. North Carolina Crabtree lady. Very quiet and, and, well, not like her in that way, but, uh, but I have her demeanor, personality. So I never flew off the handle, never showed my anger, never got red in the face. No, my carnality exposed itself like this. I pouted. I can out-pout anybody in here. <laughs> you know what that's like, don't you? You don't get your way, and you pout. The old silent treatment. I'll make you as miserable as I can until I get my way. Oh, you've never done anything like that, have you? But that's the way I operated. And one day I didn't get my way. I was pastoring a Nazarene church in Nashville, Tennessee. And one day I did not get my way. So I did what I always did. I pouted. And I left the parsonage, got in my little pastoral calling car. And I went over to the mall, Hickory Hollow Mall, south side of Nashville, to do what I always did when I didn't get my way. I'm a car guy. I went to the car dealers just to look at the cars I wish I could own. And I'd walk around wasting time, feeling sorry for me. And one day I didn't get my way and I walked out of the house to get in my little car and I drove down the driveway and I turned left on Richards Road and I went down to Una Antioch Pike, turned right on Una Antioch Pike down across the railroad tracks, turn left on Mountain View Road, on my way over to Hickory Hollow Mall, and about halfway up that little two-lane road, God came. And he sat down right there in that passenger seat beside me. See, having grown up in a wonderful Christian home, I saw what Christ-centered living looked like in my mom and my dad. I saw what the selfless life looked like and how it sounded. I watched how it acted. I saw it. And that day, God sat down in my car 
beside me. And I remember saying this to him. God, I hate living like this. And God spoke back to me, not in an audible fashion like I'm speaking to you, but he spoke into my spiritual ear. And this is what he said to me. Lane, you know what you've got to do? And I said, no. What? He said, you've got to die. You've got to die. And I knew he wasn't talking about physical death. He was talking about dying to my own self-centeredness. And that day in March of 1989, in my little 1981 Mercury Lynx pastoral calling car, driving up Mountain View Road, I died. I died to my own self-centeredness. I signed the death warrant or the death statement to having control of my life. And I died. It changed my life. It revolutionized my life personally, spiritually, ministerially. It impacted every aspect of my living experience. I began to unlearn the self-centered lifestyle. And that's part of it. Because all of our lives we've been self-centered. You have to unlearn the self-centered tendencies. And you replace them with the Christ-centered mindset as you study the Word of God. That brings us finally. Talked about the principle and the problem. Now let's talk about the possibility. You'd think that Christian people, when they hear about this alternative lifestyle, if they hadn't already experienced it, that they'd want it. To seek it. You'd think if somebody like me came along and told a group of people like yourselves that you can enter into a deeply intimate relationship with Christ to where no matter what you face in life, no matter what you go through, you're going to now have something operating inside of you that's going to enable you to live a consistent, spiritual, victorious life. You would think they'd want it. Run to it. But you see, like I said earlier, this is the hardest thing, spiritually, you'll ever do. This is the hardest thing spiritually that you'll ever come to terms with and allow God to accomplish in your life. It's easy to confess your sins. But now, he says, come and die to your own self-centeredness. Let me ask you a question in closing. It's personal. You're the only one that can answer it. Have you ever died? Have you ever died? If you haven't, 
You might be wondering, how do I do it? What's the mechanics of this? Don't just tell me about something and, and not tell me how I, I, I can accomplish it or get it done in my life. How does this happen? If you're here this morning and you can say, Lane, I've, I've asked him to forgive me of my sins, but I've never given him my life like what you've talked about. Here's what you do. You come here. First thing you'll do is acknowledge his forgiveness. That's a good thing. Acknowledge his forgiveness in your life. Then follow the admonition of the Apostle Paul. For in Romans he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice. You see, the carnal nature is not something for which you ask forgiveness. You were born with it. You didn't do anything to get it. So there's only one thing you can do about it, and that is to surrender it to him. So you surrender. And by faith, the same faith you used when you believe that he forgave you of your sins, you activate that same faith and say, Lord, I surrender. I make the exchange. By faith, I believe you take who I am, which is not very much. And in exchange, I get who you are, which is everything that I'll ever need. By faith, I present myself a living sacrifice. Have you ever died? I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Father, probably following our conversion experience, this is one of, if not the most important Decisions we'll make in our spiritual journey. And I pray that whoever needs to respond, they would come to this place and say, I want to die. I surrender. May it happen today. With our heads bowed, we're going to do this a little different with their heads bowed. I'm not going to ask how many of you are a Christian. I'm not going to ask how many of you are lost. I'm not going to ask how many of you have never experienced what I talked about today. I'm just going to invite you to come and die. If truth be known, many of us need to come and die today. So I want to invite you to get up out of your seat right now all over this place, I want to invite you to come and die. Come and die. Make the surrender. Come and die. Forgiveness of sins is wonderful. But Paul talked about 
a deeper walk. Jesus called it the abundant life. He bids us come and die to our own self-centeredness. It'll revolutionize your life. Praise God. For these that came, I shared with you the simple mechanics of this alternative lifestyle. Give him thanks for the blood, for the covering of your sins. They're not going to be held against you. They're cast in the sea of God's forgetfulness, never again to be remembered against you. Thank him for that. That's a, that was a great day, wasn't it? When you became a new creature in Jesus Christ. But now, this takes us even deeper in our walk and journey with him. Where we say, Lord, I take hands off. I surrender all. I present myself a living sacrifice. Holy. That means completely. Holy, acceptable, pleasing unto you, which is my reasonable service. Which simply means it's the most logical thing to do now. He's forgiven your sins. Now give him your life, every part of your life, the carnality, everything else that's attached to that. I surrender. I surrender. And by faith, believe that he takes the offering of your sacrifice. I present myself a living sacrifice. Thank you, Father, for these who are praying and through a deliberate act of faith, they're dying to their own self-centeredness and then coming alive in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. To know that now we can actually tap in the same power that liberated you from the grave that can find you. May they by faith believe the exchange has taken place. And may they by determination leave this place to begin unlearning the self-centeredness that so governed their lives. Unlearning those things that would get in the way of serving you and replacing those things with the heart and the mind of Christ and the teachings of your word, taking them personal, subjectively applying them. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Oh, to Jesus. I surrender all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender it. I surrender all, all 
to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Go in the knowledge of his word, the confidence that because you have done what you've done today, he will be faithful to accomplish it in your life. Stay there as long as you care to. Make sure you've truly died and then come alive in him. Exchange is made. I surrender all. I surrender Sing it with me. I surrender all. Why don't you stand? I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender. every service that we've had and I don't want to leave the presence of God is so special when we gather together like this and we have surrendered hearts I know that when I did what was done here at the altar this morning and did some serious business the course of history changed and our world has changed today because of the serious business that's happened here today. So remember what God did here this morning. Remember in your lives. And uh, as we leave, let's just let the glory of the Lord pour out into our world because of what he's done here this morning. Now, a lot of evangelists charge a lot of money, but Lane comes for a love offering, so we're going to have some baskets at the door back there. If you could generously give in that. If you can't, that's okay, too. Um, but we just want to pour out our love to him and, and be grateful to him. I know that under his ministry, my life changed. Under my pastor, Clark's uh, ministry, my life changed. It's pretty interesting that they're here today. And uh, I'm going to have Clark come up. Pastor Clark, come on up, and you're going to close in prayer for us. But we're going to give in that offering. Invite a friend. We're going to come here again tomorrow evening, 6.15. We'll eat together, and then at 7 o'clock, Lane will be back, and we'll praise and we'll worship, and the Spirit of God will be uniquely here just as it has been throughout this weekend.
So Clark, I just want to publicly say I love you. I thank you for what you've been in my life. We've been through some hard times. We've been through some good times. And your legacy lives on here. Let me tell you how it works. Crystal and Clark poured into our life. Buddy and I poured into his daughter's life. She's now serving in ministry in Harrisonburg, and she poured into my nephew's life that has just gone off to the army. So when you give your lives, it goes on and on and on and on. So Clark, would you pray for us? Thank you. What a wonderful service. I was 17 when I gave my life to Jesus. I didn't quite understand sanctification and carnality, but I accepted preacher's words through Jesus Christ. I had a hard time in revival Sunday night going to the altar, stayed there two hours or so. I must have been a bad sinner, huh? And then the pastor said, let's go home and come back tomorrow night. That was the hardest day in my life. The devil knew what I was going to do. And I told the pastor and the evangelist, I'm not going to claim this experience unless I know in my heart. I'm 80 years old. I was 17. I've tried to please him all these years. And you can too. You see, God's on your side. Those that do not know him, the devil already has, but he don't have your life now. And you will run in some difficulties, but God's there to help you. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. If I live close to this church, I join this church. <laughs> I knew this girl when she was just about that high. But God loves you, I know that. I was up at 3.30 this morning to get here. I thought next time Buddy can come get me in his airplane. <laughs> if you'll let me drive it. <laughs> well, God bless you. We're one. We're kin to each other. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And you have a lot of people out there pulling for you. Don't ever, ever, ever give up. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here today. It's worth the mileage. It's worth hearing Buddy and Gay, what you have done through them and for them. And these wonderful people here that have joined in to make this place 
a place where souls can come to Jesus. Thank you for Lane Lohman. We've known him many years. His father, his ministry, continue to bless him and make him a blessing to all of us. We love you today. We thank you for your love to us and our love to one another. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.